Do conference championship games still make sense? What's the over-under on Colorado's win total next season under Coach Prime? And is it possible that the Pac-12 takes a bigger swing than San Diego State in expansion? Your questions and our answers on an all-new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Canzano. Uh, you can find me at johnconzano.com here with the great John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. You can find him at pac12hotline.com. We're doing something a little different today, aren't we, Wilner? Yeah, this will be fun. This will be fun. Kind of a good, you know, good way to, there's a lot going on. This will help us cover a lot of topics. Also, you know, just a good chance to let folks know how much we appreciate all the support out there. So we solicited questions on Twitter and other places and you're always welcome to shoot your questions to us. And, and in fact, if you come up with a great question and we, we aren't doing a Q&A episode, we still might use it. So you can tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. You can tweet at Wilner Hotline to get John Wilner. Before we get to your questions, let's talk about uh, the latest and maybe the last coaching hire of this cycle for the Pac-12. Stanford has hired Troy Taylor as its new head coach to replace David Shaw. Taylor is... Uh, former Cal quarterback who is currently or has been coaching Sacramento state. He's, you know, he coached, played in the NFL. Uh, he was Utah's offensive coordinator. He has got a lot of experience out West. He has won big at Sacramento state for a couple of years. And he is now being charged with reinvigorating the Stanford program, which has lost a lot of ground the last couple of years. Uh, my, my view is, they could hire Nick Saban, and unless Stanford is institutionally willing to make some changes to kind of join the modern era of college football, uh, it doesn't really matter who's coaching. Uh, Taylor Taylor has got to have help from within on things like name, image, likeness, transfer portal, uh, budget, recruiting resources, all that kind of thing. If, if the school's not willing to kind of go all in with him, it's going to be a tough slog. I agree with that, and I think the fact that David Shaw walked away tells us the answer to that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if Stanford was going to do it, if they were going to relax their academic standards for a coach, they were going to do it for David Shaw. Now, I'd love to be wrong, uh, but uh, let's keep an eye on that because I do think the one advantage that Taylor has is that he has been coaching at Sacramento State. He knows the Sacramento and Bay Area high school coaches, he knows where the talent is in the area. He's done a really nice job at Sacramento State. I mean, there's no denying the success that he has had. That said, I, uh, I'm i skeptical like you. I think Stanford and Cal are using different math when it comes to the transfer portal, and Stanford in particular. And so I think it's a really tough ask, and I just don't know what they do unless they are willing to at some point acknowledge that they've got to do some things that yep. that they haven't historically done. Well, and they, they were they're basically in the same position they were in 2006 when they brought in Jim Harbaugh. But back then, they were willing to make the changes to get good. And so we'll see if if history repeats or if history does not repeat and the program kind of continues to flounder. We got a whole pile of questions from our listeners. Where, where do we want to start, Wilner? Let's, I think we need to start with the hottest story, Coach Prime. Um, all right, we got a couple questions about Colorado hiring Deion Sanders here. Um, let's go with this. 
what will the effect of Coach Prime be on the Pac-12's new TV contract? Um, do you think there'll be more, and do you think there'll be uh, more views for his introductory talk to the team, which was quite interesting, than uh, there will be for uh, the Oregon-Utah game on uh, <laughs> on ESPN? <laughs> well, without question, I think when you get a character like Deion Sanders, or you get a hire like USC hiring Lincoln Riley, or UCLA hiring Chip Kelly, or even Mike Leach to Washington State, you're going to get eyeballs on the conference. You're going to get eyeballs on that specific school, though, first and foremost. And, you know, I know you talked to Commissioner Klyovkov about what, you know, he thought the impact was as a conference, but I also talked to Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president, and he sort of underscored the idea that, look, this is great for Colorado. It's going to sell sponsorships. It's going to sell tickets. It's going to help Colorado recruit. But as a media executive, he said he was never tuned in to the idea that one coach here or one coach there is going to move the needle as far as the bottom line and the number. And, in fact, he pointed out that the deal that the Pac-12 is on right now, the current media rights deal that they're finishing – there have been 42 different head coaches in the Pac-12 conference that have coached under that deal. So why would you ever make a deal as a media company, uh, you know, adding value to a coach that you don't know is going to be there with right. that kind of turnover? So this is great for the Pac-12. It's some eyeballs. It's some buzz. Yes, there could be, like, a, they could get really creative. Maybe Amazon does a hard knocks type series and and it focuses on Colorado and Maybe there's some additional revenue there, but it's not enough to really, in my opinion, move the needle from a media rights standpoint. Still, it's a home run for the conference, and it's a home run for Colorado. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it helps if he can get Colorado turned around and winning. You know, that will that will help. I mean, especially if you, you know, there's a winner and a loser for every conference game. But, you know, if Colorado all of a sudden is going 3-0 and in non-conference play, That'll help. I mean, coaches are, it all starts with the coaches, right? And going back, that media deal that the Pac-12 did, um, you know, in 2011, right? Think about what was going on in the conference back then, right? Stanford had hired Jim Harbaugh and was a national story. Oregon had promoted Chip Kelly and it was coming off the BCS championship game. USC was still kind of in the afterglow of the Pete Carroll era, right? You hire good coaches. Those coaches went at a high level. And I don't know if Sanders will do that or not. And that that does elevate kind of the totality of the conference's uh, value publicly. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what 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 Sanders is able to do. The question another came another question on that front. Somebody asked over under for Colorado wins next season is six and a half wins too much of a leap over under for a team that won one game this year. Wilner, what do you say? Well, six and a half. I don't have their non-conference schedule in front of me, but I am sure it's difficult because that's kind of their philosophy. Uh, six and a half, boy, that's tough. I would probably go under, but it is interesting to see, you know, uh, how quickly you can get things turned around with the transfer portal, right? And I have to think he is going to bring in 30 or 40 new players at least between high school uh, signings and transfers. That roster is going to get completely overhauled. And it shouldn't surprise anybody if they, they end up getting from where they are now up to five or six wins. Their opener, September 2nd, is at TCU. They play Nebraska at home in week two. 
Colorado State at home in week three. Uh, maybe they're two and one. More likely they're one and two to start, but I think you're right. You hit it on the button. Uh, I think we're talking about a record number of transfers. Arizona led the conference in transfers this season. They had 21. Deion Sanders is going to obliterate that that mark. And so I think you're going to see a whole new team, a whole bunch of enthusiasm. The, the listener's basically asking, are they bowl eligible or better? And I think that number's about right. Uh, I'm going to say let's put them at six to seven wins in Deion Sanders' first season. I don't think that's out of question. And I think there's a possibility. Like if we're saying, is it more likely that Colorado dramatically underachieves, wins two or three games, or dramatically overachieves and wins eight or nine games, I would lean towards the eight number versus the two or three number. I think he's going to bring in that kind of talent. Yep, yep, maybe. And he's hired, he's certainly hired a very good offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis, the former head coach at Kent State. He is an excellent play caller. So, I mean, that's smart, right? And when Dion was at Jackson State, he kind of was in the CEO role. He wasn't super hands-on with game planning. He hired good coaches and let them do their job, and it looks like he's doing the same thing in Boulder. Let's move to the next question. You fire away. What do you want? Uh, Here, let's go – Let's go to the Northwest here. What is the approach that Oregon State and Washington State need to take from a recruiting standpoint to keep up in this new era of the transfer portal and name image likeness deals? That one's what do you easy. think? I mean, you got yeah. your hands on, yeah. you know, you're all over Oregon State. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've talked to members of both the Cougar Collective at Washington State and the Damn Damnation Collective at, uh, at Oregon State, and th- they are – focused primarily first on retention. They don't want to be feeder programs for the other Power Five conference schools. And, you know, players like Damian Martinez, the freshman running back at Oregon State, I asked Jonathan Smith this uh, last week about Damian Martinez. He's a Texas kid. He wasn't highly recruited. He didn't have a bunch of offers out of high school. He had six 100-yard games to finish the season. He's got collectives in the SEC footprint that are reaching out to him asking what does he want or what does he need to come back to the state of Texas or to come into the SEC footprint. Oregon State's got to play defense. So I think the approach they have to take at Oregon State and Washington State to answer that question is, first and foremost, they have to retain the players they're developing. The Damian Martinez player, Washington State, has got some players that they have recruited as freshmen and developed They can't let them blossom and go elsewhere. Then they have to get into the portal like everybody else, and they need a quarterback. You know, I think it was a nice move that that Jake Dickert got Cam Ward from Incarnate Word, and Jonathan Smith has got to duplicate that in the transfer portal this season. Everybody's in the portal getting quarterbacks. Washington State and Oregon State cannot be spectators when it comes to that, and then they have to retain their existing talent. Both collectives talk retention first, and I think that's smart. Yeah, you know, kind of at the higher level, the the whole transfer portal thing is very interesting with the Pac-12, right? Because it's playing defense, keeping kids. And I I think that there is a lot to be said about, you know, where you're from and where you're going to school, right? It's easier to keep kids that grew up either in-state or at least in the region. For the Pac-12, what's going to breathe real hard, and Martinez is a great example – He's a Texas kid, right? Can can Washington State keep a Texas kid? Uh, can Oregon State keep a Texas kid 
out of the portal from going to a, a, a school in Texas that's got, you know, dangling an NIL offer. You, the, the regionality issue, I think, is, is big, but that also works potentially in the Pac-12's favor because think about all the blue chip players from the West Coast that have left in the last five, four or five years and are going playing in the SEC, Big 12, wherever. Well, those kids, some of them could be ripe for the picking. Right. To come back home if the Pac-12 schools can come up with NIL, you know, uh, offers and opportunities to, to induce those kids to, to come home. So that's that's a kind of a, a second element to this whole portal meets NIL situation. Yeah. And and they also, though, they, they get the, they need to get the kids to come home. But then they it's I, I just keep coming back to retention. Damian Martinez, Oregon State cannot let an SEC team or another Pac-12 team take that running back from them. So they've got to play defense. In Washington State, they get a guy like Ron Stone Jr., who you know they brought in as a freshman. He's a Bay Area kid, and they can't let that kid end up at USC. They can't let that kid end up somewhere else. So they've got to play defense using the portal as well. Let yeah, me, and the uh, intra-conference yeah. thing is very interesting too, isn't it? Yeah. Guys going from one school in the Pac-12 to another, that is— that's real intriguing, especially right now. With I think you know, as we watch USC and UCLA sort of pack their bags and prepare to go, you don't want your your talent going with them. Um, let me uh, let me throw this question at you. Came from a listener: um, San Diego State as a replacement for USC seems underwhelming. Writes the listener. Anyway, the Pac-12 can try to pry Baylor or TCU. Or someone else away uh, instead. Well, I mean, it seems to me, first of all, anybody is going to be underwhelming compared to SC, right? I mean, you kind of got to start there. Yeah, and, I, think, I think you're right there. Uh, San Diego State does bring some elements that the Pac-12 will need. I, I think a, camp, a campus in Southern California is going to be important. But can the Pac-12 lure, lure schools that are tied contractually to the Big 12? This is real interesting. Uh, you know, TCU and Baylor are current members and are contractually bound uh, to that conference. What I'm wondering, you know, and they've got history there uh, in the in the Big 12. But what I'm wondering is, you know, the Big 12 announced in late October that it has – uh, this new TV, this new media deal, but it hadn't at that point finalized the deal and signed its grant of rights agreement. And uh, I haven't heard that the grant of rights has been signed yet in the Big 12. So is is it possible the Pac-12 could still like reach out to, say, a BYU or a Houston, the schools that have not yet joined the Big 12 and have not yet signed grant of rights contracts with the Big 12? I suppose it's possible. Uh, I, I, it's probably like down in the one or two percent chance. But to me, if you're the Pac-12 and you're you have any hope of poaching any schools from the Big 12, uh, you know, to me, Houston and BYU make more sense than than some of the traditional Big 12 institutions. I keep thinking about who the Pac-12 really is and who these presidents and chancellors are, the remaining 10 at least. And I and I'm looking at, you know, in that last cycle this was a conference that was not interested in destroying the Big 12 conference. It explored it, but didn't didn't go through with it. Now it's watched the Big 10 poach USC and UCLA, and I think there that there has been a shift of mindset inside the conference, right? I think people have 
awakened to the fact that hey, there are raiders that could come for you, and you know you better you better protect the the programs you have. I I don't think it's going to be the first inclination or the first impulse by the Pac-12 to try to go out and pull away a team from the Big 12 conference, but. I think they would be wise to explore all options right now because I think the the listener's right. I like San Diego State. It's not USC. It's not UCLA. But it gets you 1.1 million households. It's in Southern California where you like to recruit. Um, San Diego State has been in this slow dance. I wrote about this uh, with the Pac-12 conference. It is, uh, you know, San Diego State, I think, is expecting that the Pac-12 is going to come to them in the first quarter of next year. And 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 offer an invitation. I think that that's kind of the expectation on that campus. So if you're the Pac-12, I think you want to explore some splashier things to go with it because Boise State, Fresno State, SMU, those things don't move the needle for me as much as San Diego State. I think they're wise to look at him, but it's not the television households you want. It's not the impact you want. So I think you have to try to take a bigger swing first. And, and, and look, if you retain UCLA, it's a whole different calculus. There's a whole whole other set of math problems there. But right now, I think San Diego State, it does accomplish what the Pac-12 is going to try to do. And it's got geography and the Pacific time zone and all of that. Uh, but if I'm the Pac-12, yeah, I am looking at I'm looking at those uh, at those Big 12 schools. I'm exploring them. I'm trying to have some conversations or at least back channeling. Are they happy? Uh, you know, would they like more money? Would they like a better meteorites deal? Would they like to be playing uh, in the Pacific time zone? Would they like to recruit Los Angeles? Those are all questions I'd be asking. Yeah. I mean, San Diego State in some ways is a defensive play for the Pac-12 too, right? To keep them from going to the Big 12. I mean, having the Big 12, uh, a Big 12 campus in San Diego and two Big 10 campuses in L.A., you know, that would not be good uh, for recruiting. My money, though, my money is on SMU. That's if if I had to pick one school that I think the Pac-12 will add, it would be SMU one, San Diego State like one A. I think San Diego State's at the front of the line. I, I I would put San Diego State in front of SMU. I just don't like the 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 postage stamp footprint of SMU. I think it it deviates from the geography of the conference, and I think for those reasons, I I would, I'm going to put San Diego State in the primary position, and then. I think they'll look at some others. I think they will consider UNLV. I, uh, you know, I don't think it fits. I, I think the presidents in the in the chancellors in the Pac-12 look uh, love them, but uh, they also have a little bit of snob to them. I think that they'll kind of turn their nose up at the idea of UNLV. But uh, I like the stadium there. I like the sponsorships, the growth in Las Vegas. Uh, I think those are all things that they have to look at. But I think it's it's a possibility here, Wilner, that they take just San Diego. Maybe they yes. look at Gonzaga in some other sports like basketball and some other sports, but but there might be there might not be a second school. Maybe it's they go to eleven. Yep, they could go to eleven without divisions in football. You can have eleven, no problem. Uh, so let's go. Here's one. This is a good one. Uh, you put on your, uh, I guess, put on your commissioner cap in this new Pac-12 TV deal. What is the one thing that if you were negotiating? You would insist be included. I want uh, I want every university to control to have. I want the universities to have more control over the kickoff times. And I know that sounds ridiculous. And the TV executives will go, "You're out of your mind." They're never going to give that up. But I, when, by control, I mean, look, it it may be as simple as saying, 
you know, they're not going to kick off at 7.30 ever. Maybe they'll kick off at 7, maybe they'll kick off at 6, 6.30, but they won't kick off at 7.30. Because when I see 7.30, it's a groan across the conference. So I would like a little more control for the members over their kickoff times, especially if they're going to partner with Amazon and and have that be kind of the Pac-12 network content, which I, I think we all are presuming that Amazon or some streaming service is going to get a chunk of this stuff. The kickoff times won't matter if they're on Amazon. And so if, if that does happen, I would I would love to see the schools be able to have some input as to what time they would kick off. And Oregon and Oregon State can say, you know what, we're going to kick off our Civil War football game at 2 p.m. Uh, the Saturday after after Thanksgiving because it's on Amazon and we can dictate that. And Amazon isn't programming against anybody else. So I'd like to see more autonomy for the schools, more control for the schools when it comes to kickoff times. How about you? Yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest issue is is the the six-day windows, right? Because the way that it works now is ESPN and Fox each have – two options for six-day announcements. So the Sunday before, you're finding out what time your team is playing on Saturday. And so that's four out of the, you know, basically what are there, 10 weeks of conference play, essentially. 40% of those weeks, there are, uh, is the potential for the for the six-day picks. And that is really tough, especially when those games are often in November. So they mean a lot. The weather's tougher uh, that to me is, is a big one. I've got two. Well, let's, I got two things. I think the PAC 12 should seriously pursue though, with this negotiations one, and this is pretty, this is kind of off the wall. I think the PAC 12 should play a game. Well, they should definitely play Labor Day weekend. They should have a conference game the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, because there is no competition that day. The NFL hadn't started, but I think they should play. What do you think of this? Five o'clock Wednesday, the night before Thanksgiving. I like it. There's nothing else going. There's no football. I like but it. But the holiday weekend has started. Now, the issue with that is you would have to give the teams the week pre the prior Saturday. They have to be off. And those buys kind of have a ripple effect on everybody's schedules. So they need to create flexibility with the schedule, enough flexibility with the schedule. I think that a game, a five o'clock game out West or six o'clock out West, that would draw eyeballs because there's nothing going on and people are ready for football by that point on the the holiday week. I like that. I like that idea because it takes, it seizes on what the NBA does with Christmas and what uh, the NFL does with Thanksgiving day. It makes it your day or it creates some kind of event around a day when a lot of people are sitting around. Um, Let me throw this question to you. This comes from a uh, reader. Listener, uh, if Lincoln Riley, USC's coach, had taken Caleb Williams out of the game in the Pac-12 championship game when they were ahead 17-3 to and cited the injury and the final score remained the same, Utah still ran away with it. Does USC hold on to the fourth playoff spot, Wilner? That's a, that is a, an all-time good question uh, because it, it cuts right to the heart of the flawed system that they we have with this four team playoff. I think there's a damn good chance that that's what would have happened. Uh or you know takes him out with that injury or he had suffered, you know, a more debilitating injury, you know, not that would keep him out of the playoff, but that would just have prevented him from continuing. 
and they're up 17, they would have a heck of a chance, a lot better chance than <laughs> than based on you know how things unfolded. It's a great question. You know, I still think, right? I mean, any system in which Ohio State can not qualify for the Big Ten championship, sit on its butt, and then all of a sudden be good enough for the playoff is a is a broken system. Yeah. And I think the system has problems. It's not this four team thing is not a playoff. Can we say that? I mean, it's an invitational tournament. It's it's dramatically flawed until we can get to a situation where conference champions are automatic qualifiers. Um, it's just broken. And we saw teams playing this year who play who participated in the title game, who had everything to lose and nothing to gain. And this was an example of it. Now, I still think that the committee was probably looking for a reason to pull USC out of the fold. I mean, I think they were probably scrutinizing him and looking at him, and they may still have done it with Utah running away with the game and Caleb Williams' health being up in the air. But, um, it, you know, as long as Lincoln Riley wasn't jeopardizing Caleb Williams' health and keeping him in the game, I think he should have kept him in the game. And, you know, and of course he did keep him in the game. Um, that brings us to... Um, Conference championship games. Another listener question. Do conference championship games make sense when the four-team invitational expands to a 12-team playoff? Wilner, go. Oh, not only do they make sense, they make more sense, right? They are worth much more money because it is basically a play-in game for the playoff, right? I mean, the winner, you're, it will be very difficult even for the Pac-12 and all of its glorious parody that we've seen over the years, it will be very difficult for the Pac-12 champion to not qualify for the CFP. Uh, so to me, uh, that I mean, that is a huge part of the, the expansion is the stability that it's bringing to the landscape because it is making every conference's regular season and championship game more valuable and more significant by creating the the a, a path to the playoff with the automatic bids. So to me that they are, I mean, and it's great branding, right? I mean, Fox or whoever had, we don't know which networks are going to broadcast which rounds of the playoffs in the next contract. But, you know, if, if it's Fox has got, you know, uh, opening round or something, and they've also got the Pac-12 championship game. It's a great, uh, you know, marketing, uh, cross-marketing opportunity for the TV network. So I think they're going to be willing to pay more uh, for the rights to those games because of the playoff. I think that it really doesn't matter what you and I think or what even the fans think. Those conference championship games are part of the current media rights deals. And the SEC, the Big Ten... Uh, the Big 12 and ultimately the Pac-12, they're not going to give want to give that money back. So these championship games are here to stay at least until the current media rights deals are renegotiated. And I don't see any scenario where the conferences are going to go, you know what, let's not play that game and let's take a little less money. That's not going to happen. They're, they're built into the current media rights deals. And so because of that, I think they will stay. They will stay. The one thing, though, is for, for fans to be on the, the lookout for is they may move. Because the way the extra rounds of the playoffs are structured, the conferences may end up moving their championship games up a week. So Thanksgiving weekend, essentially, and start you start the season a week earlier, you play the championship games a week earlier, 
And then you've got more weekends. You got a little bit of time for rest for the athletes before the playoffs start in the middle of December. The calendar, the college football calendar, which includes the weekend of the championship games, is a big part of what still has to get hashed out uh, with the expanded playoffs. So people should should be aware that the, the championship weekend could move. Yeah, I think we're going to see college football starting in August. And I think it's, you know, the calendar's already messed up. Like it used to be Reggie Jackson was Mr. October. You know, and then Derek Jeter was Mr. November. So I think you're going to see the NFL try to creep into some late seasons, more more Saturdays, and you're going to see college football react by moving forward and getting this season started earlier so that their championship game isn't up against the NFL games either. Uh, Wilner, another question that has come in. You, you wrote about an all-in Amazon plan as a hypothetical Pac-12 solution. This listener writes, could Amazon buy the Pac-12 network and get into linear broadcasting? They uh, they have dominated online retail. Why not apply that logic to streaming and sports? Is that nuts? Well, I mean, I think there's a good chance that they will buy or partner with the Pac-12 networks in some fashion. I don't know, though. I don't know that it makes sense for Amazon to get into the linear broadcasting business. But, right, they, they might want – uh, the Pac-12 Network's uh, technology to use as their for their production, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's going to be when this media rights deal comes out and the Pac-12 walks out and says, "Look, we got significantly more than we anticipated." Um, I I think when we unpack that, we're going to find that it's probably due to the fact that the Pac-12 Network content. And the Pac-12 Network's production facilities, production team, all that is uh, now working for Amazon. And I think Amazon's going to get into other other live sports programming, not just college football, not just the Pac-12. And I think the Pac-12 Networks could be that piece of it. They don't have the infrastructure. They currently are using the NFL Network to produce their Thursday night football events. So they need the Pac-12 Networks, and uh, I think they that they will use the Pac-12 Network's um, infrastructure to do that. So I think when that number comes out, because originally we were anticipating that the Pac-12 universities, just for media rights, would be somewhere in the uh, low 30s when it came to like $32, $34 million per school on a distribution uh, basis, uh, not including the L.A. schools. Now, if the L.A. schools are in there, I think it would be, uh, it could be more. Uh, But I think if we see a number that pushes into the high 30s and even low 40s, it's going to be because the Pac-12 has sold uh, part of their production or partnered in production with Amazon, and they're gonna they're monetizing the networks. Now they ha- they own the networks to their credit. It's their it's their deal to sell. But if we're trying to make an apples to apples comparison with the Big 12 or the Big 10 or what other or others. Uh, I think we may have to unpack that in the end. Yep, yep. Here's one. This is a good one for you because I know you've written about the Washington State's Cougar Collective. Uh, a rep, a representative from the Cougar Collective has stated a goal of raising $2.5 million a year for the name, image, likeness budget to remain competitive. Is that really the baseline to get and retain three- and four-star players? I originally when the NIL stuff started, I was underwhelmed when I started looking at the average deal in the Pac-12 conference. And I was looking at Oregon and Oregon State mainly. But 
the deals were relatively small out of the gates. Uh, so I do think that kind of money is is uh, the baseline for getting started or getting in the business, right? So I think you're going to see um, some of the larger schools have big alumni base. Uh, Arizona State comes to mind. They have the Sun Angel Collective. They are trying to uh, win with it using numbers, right? They're going to offer their alumni the chance to, hey, everybody give $50. And they know because they, you know, they can get numbers that they will be able to raise that. Now, Oregon State saw that, and Oregon State seized on it and said, hey, 38-34 was the score of the rivalry game, right? So Oregon State said, um, uh, guess what? We are going to offer the uh, the Damnation Collective is going to offer the opportunity for uh, Oregon State fans to buy in at $38.34. And they're just, you know, I think it's a, it's a very different approach than like what Oregon is doing. Division Street, the, the collective that Oregon is using, has a very small number of donors relative to the others. But the buy-in is half a million dollars, Wilner. So it costs you half a million dollars to get in the room. And guess what? You don't get input for a half a million dollars on what they do with the money. So you're not really going to get to say, hey, I think you should go after an offensive lineman or a pass rusher or whatnot. You're just putting in $500,000 and taking a seat. It doesn't only one guy really have any input there? Mostly, yeah. <laughs> but I did talk to someone who put in half a million dollars, and I said, what do you get for that? And they said, well, I'm not really anything. You don't really get a say in what they're doing. So, um, you know, I think it's a really – it's, it's still new times, and I think they're still making it up as they go in some cases. Yeah, I think the marketplace is going to reset. It may take another year or two, but, you know, a lot of donors, especially, you know, SEC, Big Ten – they're going to realize, hey, the fifty grand for a backup offensive lineman—that's not a very good investment. Uh, so I think I think we'll see the market settle a little bit, except for in the you know the extreme cases for like quarterbacks, perhaps. Uh, and generally speaking, a, a lot of the numbers you read about you know such and such players getting X and somebody's getting Y, those numbers are inflated by the players, by their agents to drive up the market price, by the collectives themselves to make to make their their place look attractive. So just be, you know, be careful what you believe about those dollar figures. Yeah, I think you got to watch it and I think they will uh, in a lot of cases they're making it up as they go. And I think a lot of us too are learning as they go what works, what doesn't work, yep. what not. Here's a, here's a good one. Uh might be a good one to end on. What is each Pac-12 school, remaining Pac-12 school, worth to TV executives for, for annual media revenue? That's that's like steel cage match kind of stuff here. So let's go. What do we think? Let's say, let's just say, because it's a nice round number, 35 million, uh, the networks offer the Pac-12 350 million a year. And the Pac-12 decides, just hypothetically, all right, we're gonna we're gonna divvy that up based on what we perceive as each school's value. So it's not all equal. Not everybody's getting thirty-five million. Who's who's gonna get the most? It'll be Washington. It'll be Oregon at the front of the line. They and then the Bay Area, you know, Stanford and Cal because of the television households. Despite the lack of success, the TV households matter. I, I had Bob Thompson crunch these numbers for me back in July and 
he kind of came away with a scale that had uh, or Oregon and Washington up front. They were getting a little more, like maybe if the baseline was around 34 million, they were getting 38. He said they were worth no more than 40 million. By comparison, he had UCLA and USC at about 72 million. So he had the Bay Area schools right on their shoulder. And then, of course, uh, you know, Arizona State and Phoenix. And then down at the bottom, you had Arizona and you had Oregon State and you had Washington State. So you kind of get an idea of where everybody fits. It, it falls in line with media rights in Utah and Colorado in the middle there because Salt Lake City and Denver, you know, it's shake your your uh, uh, you know shake your head at, but it's not the Bay Area and it's not Seattle and it's not the brand of Oregon. Yeah, I wonder like what the what the true delta is, right? In terms, if it's thirty five million is would be the average. Are Oregon and Washington relative to the group only worth thirty eight to forty? I would argue that relative to the group, Oregon and Washington are like at forty five million. And then the low end is $25 million, and it all averages out to 35 But I think the Ducks and Huskies are worth considerably more than everyone else. And that certainly, you know, in the in the real world, uh, as they're, you know, as the Pac-12 is formulating this media rights deal and it's got to get everybody to sign a grant of rights agreement, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that in terms of the revenue share for regular season and postseason. You know, we've talked about that a little bit on in terms of the playoffs and the NCAA tournament money. But those, the those, the Oregon, Oregon and Washington, they're they are worth, I think, a lot more. Than yeah, everybody else. I, I, he, you know, it was interesting because you know he gave me when I asked him, I gave a split of, you know, let's say the media rights are worth three hundred twenty-four million. That's thirty-two point four million per remaining university of the ten remaining universities. Uh, I asked Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports uh, president, to to outline it. He put Oregon and Washington and Stanford at thirty eight point seven. That's what he gave them. He uh, and I can tweet this out to uh, you know. And if you are getting this late, it'll be on my Twitter timeline. Uh, just check it out at John Canzano BFT. But he put Arizona State, Utah, and Cal behind them at thirty two million. And then he put Arizona, Washington State, Colorado, and Oregon State at twenty seven point seven. And so there was a range there of 38.7 at the top and 27.7 at the bottom. Now, maybe those numbers are a little fatter. Maybe Washington, Oregon around 40, Stanford around 40, Arizona State, Utah, and Cal maybe around 35, and then Arizona, Washington State, Colorado, Oregon State around 30. But that's kind of the flow that Bob Thompson gave me. Well, he knows way more about it than I do. But it is interesting, you know, the Arizona number, right, that tells you that's a powerhouse basketball program that that generates a ton of revenue, sells out every game, and it just shows you again how little basketball is yes. worth compared to football yep. on, on in media valuations. We uh, so yeah. Before we go, right, we should uh, we've got two bowl games coming up this weekend. Yeah, right. We got uh, Vegas and L.A. Uh, in the Vegas Bowl, I, I saw they had to change the time to like 11 a.m. because of the Raiders. So, boy, that's a tough tailgate uh, for an 11 a.m. So uh, let's start L.A., uh, Washington State, Fresno State. Uh, Fresno's hot. Uh, I believe the, the Cougars are favored by about four points. And uh, what do you, the 
Beavers game. Beavers are favored by about seven and a half against Florida, which is a big number against an SEC school. So, what do you want? Uh, where do you want to start here? Well, I just I'll give my kind of my umbrella games. I think it's a really dangerous. It's a dangerous game for Washington State. It, I know that Fresno State program. I know those kids. They wanted to be Pac-12 players. They weren't. This is a Super Bowl for them. It's not a bowl game. It's a Super Bowl. And I don't know if Washington State's players will grasp what this game means to Fresno State. It's a good quarterback in Jake Hayner. It's a good head coach in Jeff Tedford. And it's a bunch of motivated kids who are going to show up flying around wanting to prove something. So this is a dangerous game for the Pac-12. And I I don't know if Washington State's going to win this game. I have this one kind of circled as Fresno State's going to want to be there. I don't know if Washington State wants to be there. I'd have to look them in the eyes. Yep. And, and we saw that very thing last year with the L.A. Bowl, right? When Utah State beat Oregon yep. State, Same pretty thing. good, was it 24-13, something like that. Yep. So, yeah, I agree with you. Cougars have got – and Cougars did not play well last year in the Sun Bowl. So, they, you know, they should – in theory, they're they're going to be well-motivated after, after that. But I agree with you. Fresno State, uh, this is a circle game for them. Then the Oregon State game, I'm going to use the same logic. It's – you know, you have almost 30 players at Florida who have opted out of this game, including Anthony Richardson, the quarterback. You've got Oregon State. They want to win 10 games. They've got a bunch of defensive players who, uh, all except on Wright, are going to play in this game. They said they are going to play. They want to be there. They're not opting out. I, I think we have uh, I think we have a hornet's nest for Florida here in Vegas. I think Oregon State many, will, uh, will show up How many up Oregon to play. State fans do you think will go to that? I think they'll travel, and I I think Vegas this time of year, it's a better um, you know it's a better destination for them than even like the L.A. Bowl because I thought last year at the L.A. Bowl they traveled okay, but I think uh, I think the Oregon State fans will show up. They'll make a weekend of it. The Patriots are playing the Raiders on the same weekend, so I think that it's you know it's I think it'll be a nice bowl game. But Jonathan Smith told me he wants to be in this game. Trent Bray, the defensive coordinator, said all his players are playing except Rajon Wright. So I think I think you're going to see Oregon State show up, and I won't be surprised if Oregon State is a double-digit favorite by kickoff. Yeah, I agree with you, and and uh, that is another motivation game, and it'll be interesting. You know, Pac-12 season started in a lot of ways with Utah losing to Florida, and now here we are, three months later, something like that, and Oregon State can end its season an incredible season for the Beavers by, by beating Florida. And, and I think Florida is going to have a little bit of that, you know, we're not real thrilled to be here kind of a deal. So uh, it will be very, I think it'll be very orange in that stadium. I could imagine them getting 15, 20,000 people there. Thanks everybody for listening. I am John Wilner, Bay Area News Group and Pac12Hotline.com. He is the great John Canzano, johncanzano.com. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Thanks very much for your support.